The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. We've been exploring the Eightfold Path and the direction that the path leads us towards. The Eightfold Path being the fourth aspect of the eight, of the Four Noble Truths. I just had a, a little bit of a reflection right at the beginning of the sitting around that placement of the Eightfold Path being at the end of the Four Noble Truths. The Four Noble Truths being the truth of suffering, that there is stress, unsatisfactoriness, Unreliability is another word that is often used to, to translate the Pali word dukkha. There's unreliability in our lives, and there's a, um, you could say, a cause or a uh, a reason that that unreliability that that the suffering from the unreliability arises. The unreliability is it is unreliability, but the suffering that we experience around it. that's caused by or uh, it arises when we crave something to be reliable so it's it's the the not aligning with the truth of that unreliability we crave the something to land on and that may express by wanting to hold on to something or wanting to push something away greed and aversion and the, the delusion in there being that the holding on will somehow make me happy. So that, that delusion is kind of operating in the realm or the belief that there is something that could be reliable. And so that delusion is countering the truth of the unreliability. And so that first noble truth of the the suffering uh, in our experience, the second noble truth, the the reason for that is that we're craving, we we want something to be reliable. We we we're kind of running counter to that truth. The third noble truth is that there is the possibility of freedom, the possibility of of not experiencing the suffering around unreliability by essentially aligning ourselves with that truth. The wisdom that begins to understand that the craving for something reliable is why we are struggling. And so the mind the mind begins to understand the, the, the possibility of letting go of that craving. And then the fourth noble truth, the path, the eightfold path, the noble eightfold path that is the set of practices, steps that will support us to move in the direction of letting go of that craving. And sometimes people have asked, why is the, why is it at the end? You know, why is the eightfold path, the fourth noble truth? And, um, 
I kind of thought, just kind of like it kind of struck me earlier, well, we have to have some confidence that there is a possibility for freedom in order to take a step on that path. And so that, to me, is, is maybe why the, the, the truths are stated in this order. Some people talk about the truths kind of modeling a, a medical model, the first noble truth being uh, what the illness is, uh, the second noble truth, uh, the diagnosis, like what's causing the illness, the third noble truth being, is there a cure? <laughs> and the fourth noble truth being, here's the cure, you should take it. <laughs> so, But we have to have some sense of confidence that there would be a direction, there is a possibility for this freedom from suffering. And so this third noble truth really expresses that. That that possibility, that aspiration, and the Buddha has said that in, in several places, he said, the Buddhas point the way. We can't do it for you. But there is a possibility. So it's possible. It was possible for me, so you can do it too, basically. You know, kind of that that sense of the possibility of freedom. On this Eightfold Path, the path of beginning with some wisdom, wise understanding, wise intention, and that wise understanding and wise intention is, is really aimed at understanding how craving leads to suffering. And from, the, from the intellectual level to start, maybe a little bit from the experiential level, and then from the, you know, a little bit from the reflective level of thinking about this makes sense and I'm willing to step on that path. And then from the experiential level where we may actually experience in moments that freedom that freedom in moments, just for moments, we might have a moment where there isn't craving happening and the mind is okay with things as they are. And the taste of that, the taste of that freedom from craving is a taste of Nibbana. It's a taste of wisdom that's operating in the mind. And we talked last time about recognizing those moments of wisdom. That this is a valuable support for the cultivation of, basically of the confidence too, that the confidence that yes, there is something different. The confidence that meeting experience in a different way, not trying to control, manipulate, hold on to, get rid of, but just kind of aligning ourselves with that truth those truths of impermanent and unreliable, there's a different kind of happiness that comes with that. And so that cultivation of that wisdom, we can maybe see little tastes of that, little little moments of greed, aversion, and delusion falling away. So this freedom, you know, Nibbana in the Pali, sometimes translated as enlightenment, awakening. 
You know, those words convey, I don't know, to me, you know, hearing about these things really before I began studying um, what the teachings of Buddhism offer and what the actual path of practice is. You know, I thought that enlightenment, like, was something that I was supposed to find or, you know, kind of like some state of eternal bliss or, I don't know, something along those lines. It kind of has that sound, right? Enlightenment. It's like, I don't know. Anyway, so that, uh, th- that those translations... Um, maybe lead our minds to think that it's the getting of something, the acquisition of something, the acquisition of enlightenment, the acquisition of bliss, something like that. If I get that, then I'll be happy. But the definition of Nibbana, actually the actual word Nibbana in Pali, the Pali word, I understand actually that it's a kind of an ordinary word in the Pali language that means something like cooling, the releasing of heat. And that's a natural thing, right? I mean, the, if you if you put something hot, I mean, like I was noticing this this morning, my cup of tea, within ten minutes, it was, you know, I took a sip of it, and it was it was you know the temperature that I prefer, you know, the just not hot enough that it's going to burn my tongue but hotter than hotter than you know just just hot enough that I don't burn my tongue and within 5 minutes 10 minutes it wasn't the perfect temperature anymore it's a natural process that that release of the heat because that heat involves some kind of you know keeping to to keep it hot you have to keep putting energy into it right keep putting energy into the system in order for it to stay hot. And the natural movement is for that energy to release and the heat to release. And so this is what Nibbana means, the release of heat, cooling, the letting go of something, not the acquisition of something. And so Nibbana is defined actually in, a, in, in several places in the suttas as being the extinction or the ending of greed, aversion, and delusion. It's not the acquisition of anything. Here's some, here's some uh, sutta descriptions of, of Nibbana. I believe I got these from a little book called The Word of the Buddha, this collection of suttas. Uh, it's a it's a beautiful little book that's it's it's like no more than I don't know fifty or seventy pages long. It's a booklet really more than anything. And it was written by a monastic um it was I think it was Nyana it was Nyana Tiloka maybe. I, I can't remember. But anyway, it's a beautiful little book. Um and he goes through the Four Noble Truths, and he said, this is actually the, his, this little book was the inspiration for this whole series that's been going on for a couple of years now, actually. <laughs> because in the, in the beginning of that book, it says, 
it is said that the entirety of the Buddhist teachings can be found within the Four Noble Truths. So you look at the First Noble Truth and what's in there. And so he, he does this little summary of some of the key teachings in very outline form within the First Noble Truth. Here's some of the teachings that the Buddha points to, the Second Noble Truth. Okay, dependent origination goes in the Second Noble Truth. The Third Noble Truth, what goes in there? And in that third chapter, he pulls together some quotes. So uh, I'm going to read these together. They're from different suttas, but they kind of flow nicely together. And um, full disclosure, I'm going to um, edit them slightly for gender neutrality. The extinction of greed, the extinction of hate, the extinction of delusion, this indeed is called Nibbana. Enraptured with lust, enraged with anger, blinded by delusion, overwhelmed with mind ensnared, one aims at their own ruin, at the ruin of others, at the ruin of both, and experiences mental pain and grief. But if lust, anger, and delusion are given up, one aims either at one's own ruin, nor at the ruin of others, nor at the ruin of both and they experience no mental pain and grief. This is Nibbana, immediate, visible in this life, inviting, attractive, and comprehensible to the wise. And for one thus freed, in whose heart dwells peace, there is nothing to be added to what has been done, and nothing more remains to do. Just as a rock of one solid mass remains unshaken by the wind, even so neither forms nor sounds nor odors nor tastes nor contacts of any kind, neither the desired nor the undesired, can cause such a one to waver. Steadfast is the mind, gained is deliverance. This is peace, this is exquisite, the resolution of all fabrications, the relinquishment of all acquisitions, the ending of craving, Nibbana. Some other similes for Nibbana found in another section. The exhaustion of craving, the exquisite, peace, the subtle, the very hard to see, the unafflicted, release, non-attachment, the secure, the secure in non-attachment. This is not how we typically think of security. So I think it's interesting that you know, these synonyms are put right next to each other. The secure, non-attachment. Release and non-attachment. So the ending of greed, aversion, and delusion. And elsewhere it says, and somebody asking, uh, asked, um, I think it was Shariputra, so is there a way to the ending of greed, aversion, and delusion? How do we do this? How do we, how do we let go of greed, aversion, and delusion? And Shariputra said, the Eightfold Path. That's how we do this. So I wanted to take a little time today, and I'm going to try to keep it a little shorter today. So this will be a real kind of 
overview because I want to leave some time for, for some questions today. Um, what are, how is it that the Eightfold Path supports the ending of greed, aversion, and delusion? How does, how is that? How, so this is kind of like looking at the mechanics of the Eightfold Path. What is it about the Eightfold Path that supports the ending of greed, aversion, and delusion? And the full ending of greed, aversion, and delusion to the point where, uh, as the, the, the definition of Nibbana says, the exhaustion or the extinction, the extinction of greed, aversion, and delusion. Another term, the exhaustion of craving. Uh, this, this means that they won't arise again. So this, at the deepest levels, I mean, there's, there are times when for us, those tastes of wisdom, those tastes of freedom from greed, aversion, and delusion in a moment, we get a taste of that. And there's, it, it, it's, uh, it's quite remarkable to, to taste that and to understand in that moment, it's like, wow, this seems so simple. Why would I ever crave anything? This is so much better than craving. <laughs> and then the habit comes back because there is this, what's called an underlying tendency conditioned by years of the habit of thinking that having something's going to do it for me. Getting rid of something is going to do it for me. Seeing a few times that different perspective begins to weaken that underlying tendency. But it is the complete kind of uprooting of that underlying tendency that this path is said to move us towards. But it does it in a kind of a staged fashion. So the, the, the one, one um, in one book, uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi, pointed out, um, and this may be coming from a commentarial teaching, I'm not sure. He said that um, the um, greed, aversion, and delusion, these kind of habits of mind, they are mental habits of mind, greed, aversion, and delusion. They've been practiced for <laughs> as long as we've been alive and potentially for, you know, eons of former lives. So there's a lot of momentum towards those habits and patterns. They, they are conditioned. They are not, you could say in our kind of language of, um, uh, you know, how, how the brain works. You know, sometimes people talk about there being certain things that are hardwired in the brain. Well, greed, aversion, and delusion are not hardwired in the brain. They're, we might call them firmware. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, you know, the kind of software that's easy to take out. You know, in, in the computer analogy, there's the hardware, and then there's um, what's called firmware, which is something that's actually kind of burned into the hardware. It's, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's deeply embedded in the hardware, but it's not part of the hardware. And then there's the software, which you add on top of all of that. And I would say that our, you know, what, what's happening day to day, that's kind of like the, the software, the, 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 you know, the programs that we run, things that we get involved in. But when we do something over and over and over and over and over again, 
particular habits or patterns over and over and over again. It gets more deeply ingrained in there. And so those are the habits and patterns of greed, aversion, and delusion. So they're pretty deeply in there, but they are habits of mind. It's not inherent in our mind. So this is good news. It's good news that these are not inherent in the mind. And Bhikkhu Bodhi points out that these habits of greed, aversion, and delusion manifest in different ways in our experience. They come up um, in expression through how we speak and act in the world. You know, that, that when we're angry or when we want something, then we tend to act on that. We might lash out at somebody or we might, you know, go out and try to get something or hold on to something. And so the, the, the habits of greed, aversion, and delusion tend to be what motivates our action. And that's what um, Bhikkhu Bodhi calls the first level or the most obvious level of how greed, aversion plays, greed, aversion, and delusion play out in our lives. At this in action, in our, in our actions. So that's the most obvious level of um, these habits and patterns of reactivity. The, a subtler level of how they play out is that they come up in our minds, but we, they don't, we don't act them out. We see them before we act them out. This is where really our mindfulness practice is really helpful because we can start to see little bits of, you know, oh, I see that little flare of, of impatience in my mind and maybe I won't say that thing. So this is, this is a, a subtler level of how greed, aversion, and delusion come up. And we experience the suffering. We can experience you know, we may be experiencing the suffering of the greed, aversion, and delusion as they come up. We may not if we're not aware of it, uh, but that tends to be when those, when we're not aware that they're coming up, that tends to be when they tip into the actions in our lives. So that's the, the second level of, of um, how these patterns of greed, aversion, and delusion pay out, play out in our lives. And the third level, the deepest level, is what I just spoke about a couple minutes ago, the underlying tendency level, where they're not actively playing out, either being experienced in our, um, our minds, you know, our, our, our personal experience. They're not coming up. So we're, we're maybe experiencing some happiness and joy and some delight and, and some ease in a moment. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the habit of greed, aversion, and delusion is eradicated. It's just that it's not active in the moment. So this is called um, a latent tendency, that these, they're, they're still latent in the mind. And we, we know this. I mean, we can see this, you know, that certain conditions come around and uh, old habits will flare up, you know. Or, you know, in, engaging with certain family dynamics patterns might resurface. Or if you're really hungry or tired, the, the mindfulness might be a little weaker and 
certain habits or patterns might resurface. So the, the, um, the possibility is, is there. So that's the subtlest level of the way these greed, aversion, and delusion are in our mind stream. And so the Eightfold Path is essentially designed to kind of approach each of these three levels of the way these, I'm going to use the term um, kilesa, which is um, often translated as defilement. I don't particularly like the translation of defilement, but uh, the, the word kilesa basically means something like stain, like a cloth gets stained. And so um, these uh, greed, aversion, and delusion are understood to be kilesa, understood to be kind of stains in our mind. But they can be through the, eight, the Eightfold Path is kind of like the soap and the uh, water and the washing machine that clears the stains uh, out of our mind stream. And so the... Um, the Eightfold Path has these, these three different levels to it. The, the Sila aspect, the, sometimes the Eightfold Path is described as Sila Samadhi Panya. Um, uh, sila, ethical conduct. Samadhi, the cultivation of wholesome states of mind, including mindfulness. And the, uh, the third wisdom, the cultivation of um, the growth of wisdom. So the ethical section of the Eightfold Path, the Sila section, wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood, this section is really kind of designed to help us with that level of reactivity, the kalesis coming into our actions, to not act on, so that like having those um having those guidelines around action, refraining from taking life, refraining from taking what's not given, refraining from uh, acting in a way that causes harm with our sexuality, refraining from um, false speech, harsh speech, idle chatter, um, divisive speech. So all of these uh, components of ethical conduct if we take that commitment to um, exploring the possibility of refraining from acting out in the, in those ways, and so this is this is a kind of a, a, a use of a guideline um, to help us not step into the actions that into some of the key uh, harmful actions that are motivated by greed, aversion, and delusion. That's the purpose of this ethical section of the path. It's very pragmatic to not create harm through our actions. And underlying that, the, the motivation behind that is to refrain from acting out of greed, aversion, and delusion. To refrain from, from the, the grosser levels, the, the more obvious levels of the way greed, aversion, and delusion can create harm for ourselves, for others, for both. So that's, that's the, that aspect of the Eightfold Path kind of helps us to uh, not have as much of the transgression, not have as much of the acting out of greed, aversion, and delusion. 
not completely, but at the most painful levels, at the most harmful levels for ourselves and others. The next section of the Eightfold Path, the, the Samadhi section, the, um, the section on mental development, includes wise, um, wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration. So this is where we begin to really uh, step into the path of mental cultivation, to cultivate, again, and the, the orientation towards this mental cultivation is around how does this support letting go of greed, aversion, and delusion? This cultivation of energy or effort, mindfulness, and stability of mind, these three, um, allows us to start to, to see what's going on in our minds. And so that second level of experience of the greed, aversion, and delusion manifesting internally, anger arises, impatience arises in our, in our inner experience. When we bring a mindfulness to that, we, um, we directly experience or recognize the suffering that comes from that state of mind, from the anger, from the frustration, from the wanting to hold on to something. We recognize the, the, the suffering of it, the pain that that is, that is coming up with it, the shift from just following through and acting on those states of mind, those reactive states of mind that come from greed, aversion, and delusion, to being aware of them. When we're just kind of blinded by the delusion, we are just going to follow through, believing that it's going to create happiness. It's going to make me happier to get rid of that thing, hold on to that thing, or that state of mind, or that um, whatever it is that we're, it doesn't necessarily have to be material things that we're holding on to. In fact, much of what we hold on to is not material things. It's identities. It's who I think I should be. So that, um, that second level of um, greed, aversion, and delusion coming up in our minds, when we bring the tools of wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration to seeing them, we begin to understand the, the suffering that's coming up with them. When we're blinded by the delusion, we think that it's going to do something for us, and we're not experiencing the suffering. We, we are not directly experiencing the suffering. It's, it's eating away at us underneath, but we are blinded by the delusion, thinking this is what's going to make us get rid of that eating away but it's actually just contributing to that eating away. So the, the wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration begins to help us to understand directly the value of the release from these states. And then the third level, the deeper level of... of um, the underlying tendency toward greed, aversion, and delusion. This is uprooted by wisdom. The wisdom 
of understanding that there's a couple pieces here, but there's a wisdom of, I think one of the fundamental wisdoms is the wisdom of understanding that craving, that movement of greed and aversion actually leads to suffering. The delusion in greed and aversion is that craving leads to happiness. So the, the, um, the wisdom of understanding the, the nature of craving as being what's kind of the springboard from which our suffering actually is, is arising, that understanding, that wisdom begins to deep, more deeply undermine that habit of greed, aversion, and delusion. Seeing into the impermanent, unreliable, not-self nature of experience. Talked a little bit about this over the last few weeks. The um, As we explore the wise effort, wise mindfulness, wise concentration, we see, we see the, the suffering that's arising with the greed, the aversion, and delusion. And then we also start to see when greed, aversion, and delusion are falling away, there's still impermanent, unreliable experience happening. And the, the direct seeing of that impermanent nature of experience, the rapidly changing nature of experience, helps us to understand at a very deep level, this is not reliable. It does not make sense to cling to this. It does not make sense to reach out and try to hold on to it. It's not lasting for very long. There's no point in craving. There's no point in greed or aversion. It's an exercise in futility. And so this kind of wisdom, the seeing of that, the direct seeing of that with the wise effort, wise mindfulness, wise concentration, that begins to develop the wisdom that it doesn't make sense to cling. That the, it, 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 it develops the wisdom that penetrates or bursts the bubble of that delusion that craving is going to make me happy. And with that, those underlying tendencies really begin to weaken. And the Buddha promises the possibility of completely going away, those tendencies. So this is the wisdom aspect of the Eightfold Path. The wisdom aspect of the Eightfold Path is typically uh, put at the beginning of the Eightfold Path, but that's, I think, because we have to have some kind of wisdom to even step on the path. That wisdom or the willingness to listen to, uh, to, the, to something so counterintuitive. The willingness to reflect on it, explore the possibility of, Okay, yeah, I think I'm going to try this. But then the wisdom that grows through stepping onto the path, through actually engaging with the aspects of the Eightfold Path, is this wisdom that begins to burst the bubble of delusion, that craving is going to make me happy, that holding onto something is going to make me happy. It bursts the bubble of belief that there is something permanent, reliable out there to hold onto through seeing over and over again this nature of experience. So the the way to this 
freedom is a staged development. It develops slowly over time. This was another thing. I had some idea that if I just sat for long enough, there would be some big kablooey insight and then suddenly I'd be free. And and no, it's much more mundane than that, you know, in some ways. The, the work is so much more everyday, moment to moment, just noticing what's here, not stepping into those actions that would create harm. It's a gradual path, and this is something else the Buddha emphasized, the gradual nature of it. But we step onto that path and keep going. And it begins to accumulate. The wholesome qualities begin to accumulate. And at some point, there's almost like a little bit of a tip. It feels much more like there's more of the understanding of, like the, there's enough of the delusion that's been burst into that there's the recognition of when the delusion is acting. It's like, oh yeah, this mind is not so reliable right now. Let me take a step back. So I didn't leave quite as long as I wanted to, but I, <laughs> we, have, we have a few minutes for some, some questions, reflections, comments. Um, and I, I plan to continue reflections on wisdom and cultivation of wisdom when I come back from the month long. So, so comments, questions, or reflections. Allison. Yeah, I was wondering if you could type the author of the word of the Buddha. Hmm. All right. Hang on just a second. Um, see if I can find Apologies if that's a lot of work. <laughs> if the book is easily visible. Yeah, I think it's, I'll have to, um, uh, I think if you just Google the word of the Buddha and in, in, like in um, in quotes, so that it's you know you might find it. And I believe it begins with Niana. There's several Niana monastics. There's Niana Panika, Niana Tiloka, uh, Niana Nanda, <laughs> and I'm not sure which of the three it is. Yeah, me, um, Nahara. Maharathara? Niana Mahara. Okay. So did you find it? I think I did. I think I did. (laughs) Thank you. That was a a great talk. And I'm particularly um, attracted to books that are short. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's it's short, but it's very dense because the the book, uh, one thing about that book, um, it is almost entirely written, not completely. There's a little bit of, um, a little bit of, um, like setting the stage, but it's almost entirely excerpts from the suttas. Okay. So it's also a kind of a nice, like, intro to the suttas, you know, because he kind of gathers and collects, um, in this kind of fashion of like, well, here's, Suttas that relate to the first noble truth, uh, so it kind of you know does it thematically. Um, so it was it was one of my early ways into the suttas. Okay, that, I think that's about. I'm about there, so that sounds great. Okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah.
and gotten you out of the habit of asking questions <laughs> by talking the whole time. <laughs> Jan, did you have something? Yeah, this may be another silly question. It's kind of, I, I imagine it's a both hand, but sometimes there's this feeling like until there's awakening or full insight or awareness of non-duality, whatever, the full, the full awareness, then we can't really get uh, the release freedom from greed, aversion, and delusion. But then we need to walk the Eightfold Path. <laughs> to go. So it's a chicken and egg question, right? Well, I think that the, the, um, the um, what I talked about last week, the little tastes. So when, like, the the... The full freedom is the uprooting of the latent tendency towards or the underlying tendency towards greed, aversion, and delusion. When we get a taste of that freedom, when those underlying tendencies are not active, and more and more as we cultivate the path, we get more tastes of the underlying tendency not being active. So that the those those flavors, we get the we get a little taste of Oh, this is what it's like when the mind is not act, you know, acting or, or engaged in greed, aversion, and delusion. So we can get those tastes as we, and then it comes back, you know, minutes later, we we are back enmeshed in our habits and, and patterns, but we did, we do get little tastes of it. That's why I emphasized that last week, the importance of getting those little tastes and the cultivation of the path does, does, um, increase those experiences or those times when greed, aversion, delusion are not active. And then that increases the energy for the practice. It does. Yeah. It increases the confidence and the, 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 the understanding of the value of it, which increases the, you know, the movement towards, yes, yes, I want to do this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thanks, Jan. Melissa. Hi, um, this is, I think, a, similar to what you were just saying, but a little different. Um, in the practice of open awareness, uh, not so much the fixed object, but the open awareness, where where does that kind of fall in there? There seems to be, like in the Satipatthana Sutta, and as you've talked, we've talked about in the uh, you know, leading up to the seven factors of awakening, and even here in in the four noble truths, there's a progression. And I know you said have talked about getting the taste of these things. At what point, and what kind of practices within these can be really cultivated to really focusing on, you know, the falling away of self, anatta. I mean. Um, in your experience or I just trying to see where that fits in. In other words, it seems to me there's kind of in some, at times it's kind of circular. Like you say, you kind of maybe fall back into these old patterns, but not quite as deep. It's the identities, I guess, is when, how to use these to really begin to see the identities that we cling to, to form that sense of self. 
So, I mean, I think we're at time here, just past time. So I'm going to offer a really brief um, answer right now and then um, willing to stay on longer, of course, as usual. Um, um, But the the, the brief um, response is that the the tools of the variety, there's a variety of tools of meditation, right? There's the focused awareness, there's the open receptive awareness, there's blends of those, there's meta practice, there's jhana practice. And if, if the, the, those practices are done from the perspective or with the, um, the wisdom or the aim towards, like even the jhana practice, if it's done with the, um, in the service of understanding greed, aversion, and delusion, understanding how craving leads to suffering, there's a development in the direction of that. So the, the, it's, the, it's the kind of the underlying or the aim or the motivation of why we're doing the practice, what we're, we're aiming at that is most like, important there. You can do any meditation practice for a variety of reasons. You can do meditation practice to just have a better life, you know, to just be a little more happy in your life. Um, Or you can be doing it with this curiosity of wanting to really see the deeper roots of greed, aversion, and delusion and to understand identities. And so all of the meditation practices are can lead in this direction. All of the ones that are, you know, taught in the, the Buddhist, there's a variety of, of ways the Satipatthana Sutta is interpreted in terms of meditation practices. And they're, they all will lead in that direction. What I would say is, um, you know, whatever practice is most resonant for you, you know, that will, that will and can lead towards freedom. Mm-hmm. depending on how it's engaged with. So I, 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 well, it kind of comes back to intention. Yeah. As well. Okay, thank you. Yeah.